Hello and welcome to episode 5. In this episode, we will be discussing inpatient glycemic targets and glycemic management for patients with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So, in this scenario, we have a patient with type 1 diabetes who at home is on Lantus 10 units once daily and Humalog 3 units before each meal with sliding scale. His A1C is 7.5% and he does not have any overnight hypoglycemic attacks. He has esophageal cancer and is currently being admitted to the hospital because of prolonged dysphagia and he will be started on TPN. What insulin regimen would you start him on? You can take a few moments now to think about your answer and when you feel ready, you can resume this audio. So the best regimen to use is to continue the basal insulin, which is the Lantus 10 units once a day. It would be acceptable to reduce the Lantus slightly to 8 or 9 units if there was a concern about overnight hypoglycemia at home. And for the TPN portion, you would give 1 unit of regular insulin for every 15 grams of carbs that are administered through the TPN. And you can infuse this regular insulin in the TPN bag itself so that it can be given to the patient along with the TPN carbs. And on top of that, you will use a correctional regular insulin every six hours to correct hyperglycemia that may occur. Specifically, that is a blood sugar above 180 during their hospital stay. The inpatient glycemic target recommendations are based on several trials that were conducted. The landmark study Leuven Surgical Trial by Vandenberg in 2001, which was published in New England Journal of Medicine, where he studied whether intensive diabetes control can improve mortality in critically ill patients. So what he did is he randomized 1,548 critically ill surgical patients into either a blood sugar control group of 90 to 110 or the conventional blood sugar control, which was at the time below 200. This was a non-blinded study, and by the end of the study, he found a 40% mortality reduction in the intensively managed group. Now, Vandenberg was very encouraged by these results, but he encountered a couple of criticisms. First is that he only looked at surgical patients, and perhaps medical ICU patients would not see the same benefit. And the second is that his study was non-blinded. So he did a second replicate study on medical ICU patients called the Leuven Medical Trial. And unfortunately, unlike the first study, he did not see any difference in mortality between the intensive and the conventional blood sugar control groups. So here we needed a tiebreaker, a study to help us figure out whether tight control is actually better than loose control in both surgical and medical ICU patients. This tiebreaker was the NICE sugar trial, which was published in New England Journal of Medicine in 2009. There they randomized 6,100 patients from both surgical and medical ICUs to either intensive blood sugar control of 80 to 100 or loose blood sugar control, which was defined as below 180. These results showed no significant difference in mortality 
between the intensive and the loose blood sugar control, but actually showed that there was an increased incidence of hypoglycemia, about 10 to 15 times higher in those intensively controlled with the blood sugar. And a follow-up analysis of these studies showed that this increased incidence of hypoglycemia was itself responsible for a significant increase in mortality. Now, based on these three landmark trials, our current recommendations were formed. The ADA Standards of Care 2023 defines inpatient hyperglycemia as a blood sugar above 140, and they recommend that insulin should be started for patients with a blood sugar above 180 on two readings, and when we start insulin, we should aim for a blood sugar between 140 and 180. They also say that stringent blood sugar control, which they defined as between 110 and 140, may be appropriate for a select few patients and acceptable only when it can be achieved without incidence of hypoglycemia. The ADA has other recommendations for management of inpatient hyperglycemia. Most importantly, they recommend against the use of sliding scale-only regimens for inpatient management of hyperglycemia. They also recommend against the use of 70-30 programs. They also recommend against the routine use of SGLT2, GLP1s, and DPP4 in the in-hospital setting. However, they say that when used, SGLT2s should be discontinued three days before any surgical intervention. They also say that CGMs are not currently approved by the FDA for inpatient use, although there are multiple studies showing promise. Okay, so what do they recommend in terms of insulin regimens? Well, they say that for patients with diabetes who are eating, a basal bolus regimen with correctional insulin is the best regimen to be used. For patients who are NPO or for patients who have a poor appetite, we can use a basal plus correctional regimen, meaning a basal insulin and correctional insulin given every four to six hours as needed. For critically ill patients, they recommend the use of intravenous insulin drip with finger stick testing every 30 to 120 minutes as needed. And when patients on an insulin drip are transitioned to ICU, then we can calculate their basal requirements by taking their insulin drip rate for the last six hours, get the average, and then multiply it by 24 hours and then take 80% of that to allow for a margin of safety. That will be the basal insulin, and then you can add the bolus insulin if they are eating, and correctional insulin for all patients. Now, in patients who are receiving TPN, we can give them the basal insulin that they were using prior, and we can add regular insulin in the Uh, TPN bag as one unit of regular insulin for every 10 to 15 grams of carbs, depending on the patient's insulin sensitivity, and that can be calculated from their total daily dose of insulin prior to admission, with a regular insulin correctional scale every six hours. 
And in patients who are on enteral feeding or tube feedings, we can use a combination of basal and a regularly scheduled regular insulin every six hours with a correctional scale. In cases where the tube feeding is stopped or interrupted, we should stop the scheduled regular insulin as soon as possible to prevent hypoglycemia, and we should monitor the patient's sugar to make sure that their basal insulin that they had received does not cause hypoglycemia. And in the last scenario, for patients who are on steroids in the hospital, which is a very common scenario, we should consider using NPH uh, because for most steroids, the peak action is about four to six hours later, which typically coincides with lunchtime. And if you give the NPH in the morning, then the peak action of the NPH will coincide with the peak action of the steroids, and they'll be on a higher NPH in the morning than NPH at night. Now, regardless of the inpatient uh, glycemic management, a timely follow-up for their diabetes in two to four weeks has actually been shown to reduce the rates of free admission because of the diabetes. And this concludes this episode of Inpatient Management of Diabetes. In the next episode, we will be discussing the pathophysiology of type 2 diabetes and remission of type 2 diabetes through weight loss. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode.